This podcast is made possible by Heap, a smarter approach to product analytics. Learn everything about your users, run rapid experiments, and iterate quickly. For hypothesis-driven product managers, there's no better tool. Yeah, I can tell you we've had Heap with us at industry for the past couple of years, and I've had so many attendees come up to me telling me that they were excited to see them here because they've been using Heap's products and getting a ton of value from them. For sure. And on their website, there are all sorts of helper resources for product people, ebooks, webinars, lots of good stuff. To learn more about Heap, visit heap.io. That's heap.io. Michael, when you think of the word product, what comes to mind? Yeah, I mean... Things that we get value from, those are all product. Yeah. Well, what do you think about, say, industry? Uh, the conference, is is that a product? Industry, a conference. Well, yeah, I suppose it's a product in a way, right? People purchase a ticket to get industry. They get value from the entire experience. So, yeah, you know, I would definitely say industry is a product. Well, I would totally agree. And hey, I look at myself as a product person and we definitely have at least tried to approach industry like we approach digital products that we've managed in the past. And in this episode, we're actually gonna hear from another person who agrees, uh, specifically Rohini Pandi. And now Rohini is a product lead at Square, uh, former industry speaker multiple times actually, but also the co-founder of Transparent Collective, a program that helps underrepresented founders get access to Silicon Valley resources. I think I just recently read an article on CNBC um, about it just a couple months back, right? That's the same one, yeah. And on this special edition of Rocket Chip, we're going to dig into Transparent Collective and learn about how it's evolved as a product and as a program. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective, where your hosts, Michael Saka and Mike Belsito. So Rahini Pandi, she's a friend of industry, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. Rohini's awesome. I got to know her back in 2016, I think it was. Uh, she was one of our speakers at Industry in Cleveland and uh, later on at Industry Europe in Dublin, Ireland. And she's an Ohio person like me. Uh, at least that's where she grew up. So yeah, I'm a big Rohini fan. <laughs> and she's a product leader at Square, right? Exactly. Yep. But she's also passionate about helping others, specifically underrepresented startup founders. And she's been able to do that through Transparent Collective or TC, as you'll sometimes hear her refer to it. She co-founded TC with James Norman and Clayton Bryan to help underrepresented startup founders successfully navigate Silicon Valley. Because let's face it, that world is already difficult enough to navigate. For underrepresented founders, though, having to meet, connect with, pitch, get through all the people that Maybe they don't necessarily look like them or have the same background. It gets even more complex. But TC is there to help. Here's Rohini with a little bit more on Transparent Collective. TC was really the brainchild of my co-founder, James Norman. He's a kind of, the, he's a serial entrepreneur. Um, we actually met way back in the day in undergrad at Michigan. And so um, when we, we both kind of had very divergent paths post-school, but in the same arena of like always kind of starting something um, or thinking about different tech. And so um, it kind of just happened that he was out here for an accelerator program. And then I decided to pack two bags and a one-way ticket um, out to the West Coast uh, around the same time. And so we actually reconnected on like AngelList or something incredibly random like that. And he was looking for help for his startup. And I was really interested in just finding a cool new, like very early seed stage company to, to work with. And um, we met up and we were just talking about how things are so different, like what we've 
what we experienced out on the West Coast was so different than the Midwest and even East Coast. So the way that you would talk about a company, share the narrative, like even pitch to investors is so different in a Chicago or Detroit versus, or a Columbus versus um, the East Coast versus San Francisco and the Bay Area in general. And so you just had to learn the ropes all over again. And you had to recreate your network all over again. And it just took this tribal knowledge that most of us didn't know we needed to have, but folks that graduated from the right schools and at the right times and had these connections were able to just kind of scale and get that investment early on. And it just felt like, okay, we gotta, we have to start from step zero um, and, and learn how to uh, crawl, walk, run again. Um, and so Transparent Collective was really just created out of that problem statement of um, providing a transparent set of information to a collective of people that we wanted to help and make sure that we change the typical identity of Silicon Valley with. And so how do we how do we do that and um, how do we kind of make that change? And so it was really just like this passion project that started scaling from there. A passion product that started to scale. I can definitely relate to that. I mean, it's exactly how product collective and industry started. And with purpose too, right? The why behind Transparent Collective definitely strikes a chord. So rewinding a few years back when TC was just getting started, what did it look like? How was this all set up? Yeah, well, Rohini goes into those early days of what the program looked like right here, uh, as well as how things evolved. We started with friends of friends. So we talked to our friends and said, like, do you, do you all know amazing entrepreneurs that you could recommend? And we would we'll spend a few days with them in this workshop. And it was like a two day program. Um, we got a sponsor to help us pay for flights and lodging and all, and all of that stuff because we didn't want um, folks to be burning into their early savings for building their companies. And since then, it's been growing into a week-long workshop um, where a bunch of our friends, including investors, mentors, advisors, help out, um, do mock interviews or help with designs of their pitch decks, do anything and everything that we can to help promote and give awareness and access to um, black, Latinx, and female founders. The thing that uh, we want to start with is like the fundraising element out here, uh, out on the West Coast. And so it was really about, here's how to tell your story. Here's how to pitch. If you have like 30 seconds in an elevator, here are the key pieces that you need to remember that you're like, this is your narrative and you should have it down pat. Um, and then this is like the blurb that you would send an investor. And then if they want more information, here's how your pitch deck should be formatted or at least how the story should flow. Since then, we've kind of grown the agenda to a full week. We'll go through how to develop their product or how to think about um, when you have only like five days to do it, how much can you actually get done and how do you ruthlessly prioritize or um, balance that roadmap. We actually now bring in, I ask for developers from Square to volunteer their time and really even add in this extra level of polish and looking at a pitch deck that goes through a, a designer that is a really amazing designer versus before it's just night and day and it like makes the the product and the business even look bigger than it is just from that extra level of detail and so we have advanced our pitch prep to that we've ha added a bunch of investors to our networks that come in and do mock interviews with our startups so that the um, butterflies are out before they actually do a real um, investor meeting. And so we've added a lot of different types of programs to the list. So essentially, 
Transparent Collective started off as a fundraising workshop, but has evolved into a week-long boot camp, if you will. Not just covering fundraising, but design, product, basically setting up these founders to better succeed in Silicon Valley. And they still continue to add on programs with each class. Yes, but that evolution wasn't necessarily all seamless. In the beginning, it started with that small in-person fundraising workshop, but it wasn't necessarily clear how it should evolve beyond that. How so? Well, in-person workshops and boot camps, conferences, they can be difficult and costly to scale. And hey, I can speak with experience on this front. In fact, I asked Rohini about the challenges of putting this all as an in-person event in the beginning. And she said... Sure. Yeah, I think the challenges with... Uh, in-person events, you know, in the pre-COVID world when we were doing events in person, um, we're really like around just the scheduling and uh, coordination efforts of trying to make sure everyone is, was at the right place at the right time. We were also protecting our founders and not setting them up in a really sketch area of San Francisco um, and making sure that they also had access to like, um, you know, different times in their schedule that wasn't all just about our workshops, but also meeting the right folks since they were already uh, out here. And some of them did a cross country trip since they were already out here, that they had some blocks of time in their schedules to be also uh, engaging and interacting with um, other folks that they wanted to either be advisors or investors to their companies. And so I think like the biggest problem statement was around that piece of it. But even as I think about like, uh, those early days, I was even questioning, do we need to have this in person? It's a non-scalable way to do things, right? Is, is to have almost like this services-based consulting group. So keeping Transparent Collective as an in-person experience, that was an open question for Rahini and her team, even after the first MVP, even after the first MVP workshop, so to speak. But going back to the beginning of our conversation, if you're treating that event like a product, I imagine that customer feedback can help play a role in deciding how to move forward, right? Absolutely. But again, for events, it's not that easy sometimes. I mean, we can't install some sort of widget into our product that constantly collects data. It's not to say that it's impossible. It's just that it takes thought and work and then you have to translate all that. So you can get feedback, but uh, it's a challenge. Yeah, a big challenge. Here's Rohini again talking about that specific challenge. One of the biggest challenges that we had and still honestly have to a certain extent even today is the feedback loop so that we can iterate a little bit better and faster. And so with especially with in-person events, not getting their feedback like immediately is really tough because people start forgetting what the programming was like even a week later. And so um, some of those things we've we've definitely tightened up as we kind of went through MVP, V1, V2 batches of, of folks. And even now, the agenda for our September event, even as we talk about it now, it's like, okay, and, and at this point, we're going to survey about these, the, the morning workshops. And at this point, we're going to survey about the afternoon workshops. So we've like started putting that process in place um, now. Like, so that it's almost muscle memory now. It definitely wasn't that, that, that way before. Where we were actually surveying people or getting feedback um, maybe even months after the event. And people were like, I don't even remember. I know, I know I had a good time and I know that it was valuable to me, but I don't remember exactly what you're talking about with this particular, you know, one hour uh, meeting that we were all in. And so having that feedback loop and having some level of being able to take or qualitative feedback into a quantitative way that we could then continue to measure across different cohorts of folks was really important to us. 
I think the thing that we're still struggling with is like I mentioned before those KPIs and trying to figure out what, what are the right uh, demarcations of quote unquote success that we can then start talking about and building that narrative for TC overall. Um, same, the same way we do it for our founders, but then just looking at it across all the entire t- uh, transparent collective portfolio. And so we've started with, um, you know, how much fundraising did these founders do? And it's a great, it's a good enough leading indicator where we can say like, you know, there clearly is, these are valuable companies because after they go through our program, then they are able to raise X amount of millions of dollars in aggregate or they are able to get into YC or 500 startups or whatever, you know, insert cool name of uh, accelerator into this. Um, and so we use those as like ways to kind of show we are the first ones to find these companies, find those nuggets. And then they, you know, by investing in them, even a little bit, they are able to kind of take that, uh, take advantage of the access or the information that we can provide and then um, expand from there. So the challenge isn't just finding out if the participants are happy and what aspects of the program they happen to like or not, but finding those North Star metrics so that the organization as a whole understands what value they're providing. Is that fundraising dollars raised by companies? Is it exit size of companies that's that are going through the program? Yeah, and even if it is those things, those are hard numbers to track. I mean, an exit, that takes several years. So true, yeah. Yeah. And as a nonprofit organization, thinking ahead even in the next year, that in itself can be a challenge. I mean, many nonprofits operate in, I don't know, like survival mode, having to always think about where that next dollar is going to come from just to keep their program running. What about Transparent Collective? Were they in this boat? Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, Throughout the last few years, I mean, they've always been able to find their funding through sponsorship. And that was important because TC always felt like it was important for them to cover travel and accommodation expenses for their participants. uh, As many of the participants simply wouldn't have been able to afford to participate otherwise. So even though TC was pretty lean as an organization, there's definitely costs to run the program. But they've been able to cover these costs, right? Yes, but again, while you may have a dollar today to pay for an expense, you might not know where that dollar tomorrow is going to come from. And just a few months ago, TC found found themselves in a spot where, well, things started to look pretty bleak. Like, how bleak are we talking? I mean, pretty bleak. Late last year, we actually were completely running out of funds. It was a really dire time. We were just trying to figure out how do we kind of survive. All of our sponsors were either in rough patches or had all like actually shut down their own doors. And so we were um, really struggling at that moment. And it was, it was to the extent where I was telling all of the founders that we need to either close on a sponsor immediately or think about shutting down Transparent Collective at the end of last year. Like 2019 would have been our final year. And um, so we were all kind of just, you know, trying to work the uh, pool of investors or uh, large companies that might be able to put some money into our work. Uh, And one of those investors that actually was a cold email to a few of us was someone that um, got into some trouble during the Me Too movement. And it was someone that I... Definitely recognize the name. A recognizable name because of the Me Too movement. Coming to TC's rescue? 
Whew, that's rough. Okay, so I, I have to ask, who was it? We are totally not going to go there, Michael. I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even ask Rohini that question. But, but anyway, what a predicament, right? She continues here with a little bit more and what exactly this person was proposing. Hey, I love the work you're doing with TC. Um, I'd love to help out however I can, including financially. And um, so I just decided to put that message away and continue with some other work that I was doing. Another four to six weeks later, got another message from that same individual saying, I'm serious, I'm, I'm pretty much offering you a blank check. Uh, and you can do with it what, whatever you need to to continue your work. And um, so that's when I actually brought that up to the rest of our founding team and said, listen, I got this. I have my own feelings about it, but I wanted to make sure that we voted on, on um, our route here because we don't have another sponsor. We are about to just close down everything. And so this could be a Hail Mary that we want to use. A blank check for the team at Transparent Collective to cash. But with a very big catch. So what was the vote? Well, we actually don't have time to get into that right now. But in the next episode of the special industry virtual mini series, we're going to find out. The suspense, it's going to kill me. Me too. Me too. <laughs> but until then, a big thanks once again to Keep for sponsoring this episode. And you can learn more about them at heap.io. And in the next episode, you'll hear what happens next for Rahini and Transparent Collective. You're not going to want to miss it. 